Chapter Sixteen of How I Found Livingston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. How I Found Livingston: Travels, Adventures, and Discoveries in Central Africa, Including Four Months' Residence with Dr. Livingston, by Sir Henry M. Stanley. Chapter Sixteen, Valedictory. At five p.m. on the seventh of May, eighteen seventy-two, the dhow which conveyed my expedition back to Zanzibar arrived in the harbor, and the men, delighted to find themselves once more so near their homes, fired volley after volley. The American flag was hoisted up, and we soon saw the house roofs and wharves lined with spectators, many of whom were Europeans, with glasses leveled at us. We drew ashore slowly, but a boat putting off to take us to land. We stepped into it, and I was soon in the presence of my friend the consul, who heartily welcomed me back to Zanzibar, and soon after was introduced to the Reverend Charles New, who was but a day or two previous to my arrival an important member of the English search expedition, a small, slight man in appearance, who, though he looked weakly, had a fund of energy or nervousness in him which was almost too great for such a body. He also heartily congratulated me. After a bounteous dinner. To which I did justice in a manner that astonished my new friends. Lieutenant Dawson called to see me and said, "Mr. Stanley, let me congratulate you, sir." Lieutenant Dawson then went on to state how he envied me my success, how I had taken the wind out of his sails, a nautical phrase similar to that used by Lieutenant Hen, how when he heard from my men that Dr. Livingston had been found, he at once crossed over from Bagamoyo to Zanzibar. And after a short talk with Doctor Kirk, at once resigned. But do you not think, Mister Dawson, you have been rather too hasty in tendering your resignation from the mere verbal report of my men? Perhaps said he, but I heard that Mister Webb had received a letter from you, and that you and Livingston had discovered that the Ruzizi ran into the lake, that you had the doctor's letters and dispatches with you. Yes, but you acquired all this information from my men. You have seen nothing yourself. You have therefore resigned before you had personal evidence of the fact. Well, Doctor Livingston is relieved and found, as Mister Hen tells me, is he not? Yes, that is true enough. He is well supplied. He only requires a few little luxuries, which I am going to send him by an expedition of fifty freemen. Doctor Livingston is found and relieved, most certainly, and I have all the letters and dispatches which he could possibly send to his friends. But don't you think I did perfectly right? Hardly. Though perhaps it would come to the same thing in the end, any more cloth and beads than he has already would be an encumbrance. Still, you have your orders from the Royal Geographical Society. I have not seen those yet, and I am not prepared to judge what your best course would have been. But I think you did wrong in resigning before you saw me, for then you would have had probably a legitimate excuse for resigning. I should have held on to the expedition until I had consulted with those who sent me. Though in such an event as this, the order would perhaps be to come home. As it has turned out, though, don't you think I did right? Most certainly, it would be useless for you to go search for and relieve Livingston now, because he has already been sought, found, and relieved. But perhaps you had other orders. Only if I went into the country was I then to direct my attention to exploration. But the primary object having been forestalled by you, I am compelled to return home. 
The Admiralty granted me leave of absence only for the search, and never said anything about exploration. That evening I dispatched a boy over to the English consulate with letters from the great traveller for Dr. Kirk and Mr. Oswell Livingston. I was warmly greeted by the American and German residents, who could not have shown warmer feelings than if Dr. Livingston had been a near and dear relative of their own. Captain H. A. Fraser and Dr. James Christie were also loud in their praises. It seems that both of these gentlemen had attempted to dispatch a private expedition to the relief of their countrymen, but through some means it had failed. They had contributed the sum of five hundred dollars to effect this laudable object, but the man to whom they had entrusted its command had been engaged by another for a different purpose at a higher sum. But instead of feeling annoyed that I had performed what they had intended to do, they were among my most enthusiastic admirers. The next day I received a call from Dr. Kirk, who warmly congratulated me upon my success. Bishop Tozer also came, and thanked me for the service I had rendered to Dr. Livingston. On this day I also discharged my men, and re-engaged twenty of them to return to the great master. Bombay, though in the interior he had scorned the idea of money rewards, and though he had systematically, in my greatest need, endeavored to baffle me in every way, received besides his pay a present of fifty dollars, and each man according to his merits from twenty to fifty dollars. This was a day to bury all animosities and condone all offenses. They, poor people, had only acted according to their nature, and I remembered that from Ujiji to the coast they had all behaved admirably. I saw I was terribly emaciated and changed when I presented myself before a full-length mirror. All confirmed my opinion that I was much older in my appearance, and that my hair had become gray. Captain Fraser had said, when I hailed him, You have the advantage of me, sir, and until I mentioned my name he did not know me. Even then he jocosely remarked that he believed that it was another Tichben affair. I was so different that identity was almost lost, even during the short period of thirteen months, that is, from March twenty-third, 1871, to May seventh, 1872. Lieutenant Hen, the morning after my arrival, formally resigned, and the expedition was from this time in the hands of Mr. Oswell Livingston, who made up his mind to sell the stores, retaining such as would be useful to his father. After disbanding my exhibition, I set about preparing another, according to Dr. Livingston's request. What the English expedition lacked I purchased, out of the money advanced by Mr. Oswell Livingston. The guns, fifty in number, were also furnished out of the stores of the English expedition by him, and so were the ammunitions, the honga cloth for the tribute to the Wagogo, and the cloth for provisioning the force. Mr. Livingston worked hard in the interests of his father, and assisted me to the utmost of his ability. He delivered over to me, to be packed up, nautical almanacs for 1872, 1873, 1874, also a chronometer, which formerly belonged to Dr. Livingston. All these things, besides a journal, envelopes, notebooks, writing paper, medicines, canned fruits and fish, a little wine, some tea, cutlery and tableware, newspapers, and private letters and dispatches were packed up in airtight tin boxes, as well as one hundred pounds of fine American flour, and some boxes of soda biscuits. Until the 19th of May it was understood that Mr. Oswell Livingston would take charge of the caravan to his father. But about this date he changed his mind, and surprised me with a note stating he had decided not to go to Unyanyembe, 
for reasons he thought just and sufficient. Under these circumstances my duty was to follow out the instructions of Dr. Livingston in procuring a good and efficient leader to take charge of the caravan as far as Unyanyembe. In a few hours I succeeded in obtaining an Arab, highly recommended from Sheikh Hashid, whom I engaged at an advance of one hundred dollars. The young Arab, though not remarkably bright, seemed honest and able, but I left his further employment after reaching Unyanyembe to Dr. Livingston, who would be able to decide then whether he was quite trustworthy. The next day I collected the men of the new Livingston expedition together, and as it was dangerous to allow them to wander about the city, I locked them up in a courtyard and fed them there until every soul, fifty-seven in number, answered to their names. In the meantime, through the American consul's assistance, I obtained the services of Jahari, the chief dragoman of the American consulate, who was charged with the conduct of the party across the inundated plain of the Kingani, and who was enjoined on no account to return until the expedition had started on its march from the western bank of the Kingani River. Mr. Oswell Livingston generously paid him a deucer for the promise of doing his work thoroughly. A dhow having been brought to anchor before the American consulate, I then addressed my old companions, saying, You are now about to return to Unyanyembe, to the great master. You know him, you know he is a good man and has a kind heart. He is different from me, he will not beat you as I have done. But you know I have rewarded you all, how I have made you all rich in cloth and money. You know how, when you behaved yourselves well, I was your friend. I gave you plenty to eat and plenty to wear. When you were sick, I looked after you. If I was so good to you, the great master will be much more so. He has a pleasant voice and speaks kind. When did you ever see him lift his hand against an offender? When you were wicked, he did not speak to you in anger. He spoke to you in tones of sorrow. Now will you promise me that you will follow him, do what he tells you, obey him in all things, and not desert him? We will, we will, my master, they all cried fervently. Then there is one thing more. I want to shake hands with you all before you go, and we part forever. And they all rushed up at once, and a vigorous shake was interchanged with each man. Now let every man take up his load. In a short time I marched them out into the street, and to the beach, and saw them all on board, and the canvas hoisted, and the dhow speeding westward on her way to Bagamoyo. I felt strange and lonely somehow. My dark friends, who had traveled over so many hundreds of miles, and shared so many dangers with me, were gone, and I was left behind. How many of their friendly faces shall I see again? On the twenty-ninth the steamer Africa, belonging to the German consulate, was chartered by a party of five of us, and we departed from Zanzibar to Seychelles, with the good wishes of almost all the European residents on the island. We arrived at Seychelles on the ninth of June, about twelve hours after the French mail had departed for Aden. As there is only monthly communication between Mahé, Seychelles, and Aden, we were compelled to remain on the island of Mahé one month. My life in Mahé is among the most agreeable things connected with my return from Africa. I found my companions estimable gentlemen and true Christians. Mr. Livingston exhibited many amiable traits of character, and proved himself to be a studious, thoughtful, earnest man. When at last the French steamer came from Mauritius, there was not one of our party who did not regret leaving the beautiful island, and the hospitable British officers who were stationed there. 
The civil commissioner, Mr. Hales Franklin, and Dr. Brooks, did their utmost to welcome the wanderer, and I take this opportunity to acknowledge the many civilities I personally received from them. At Aden, the passengers from the south were transferred on board the French mail steamer, the Mekong, en route from China to Marseilles. At the latter port I was received with open arms by Dr. Hosmer and the representatives of the Daily Telegraph, and was then told how many men regarded the results of the expedition, but it was not until I arrived in England that I realized it. Mr. Bennett, who had originated and sustained the enterprise, now crowned it by one of the most generous acts that could be conceived. I had promised Dr. Livingston that twenty-four hours after I saw his letters to Mr. Bennett, published in the London journals, I would post his letters to his family and friends in England. In order to permit me to keep my plighted word, and in order that there might be no delay in the delivery of his family letters, Mr. Bennett's agent telegraphed to New York the Herald letters I had received from Dr. Livingston at an expense of nearly two thousand pounds. And now, dear reader, the time has come for you and I to part. Let us hope that it is not final. A traveller finds himself compelled to repeat the regretful parting words often. During the career recorded in the foregoing book, I have bidden many farewells. To the Wagogo, with their fierce effrontery, to Mianvu, whose blackmailing once so affected me, to the Wavinza, whose noisy clatter promised to provoke dire hostilities, to the inhospitable Rarundi, to the Arab slave-traders and half-castes, to all fevers, remittent and intermittent, to the sloughs and swamps of Makata, to the brackish waters and howling wastes, to my own dusky friends and followers, and to the hero-traveller and Christian gentleman, David Livingston. It is with kindliest wishes to all who have followed my footsteps on these pages that I repeat once more, farewell. End of chapter 16